I think there are, there are lots of people who think of people that work for them as vessels for mm. doing what they want to do or what they think is the right thing to do instead of saying, I got this great team here, you know, what are their thoughts about what we should do and let me empower them to do it if we come to some agreement on it. Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Have you ever considered getting a master's degree or graduate degree and you're not sure which subject might best suit your professional aims? Well, if you're a coach or an educator and you're listening to this podcast, look no further. You might want to consider the teacher leadership program at Northwestern University. There is no better time than now. Northwestern University has built an amazing teacher leadership master's degree and it's offered completely online with live weekly sessions on Zoom and plenty of opportunity for you to complete your coursework on your own schedule. Becoming a teacher leader is a great way to have an impact on your students, in your school, and in your community without leaving the classroom. The skills you learn in this program will help you be better in your immediate circle and who knows, might ultimately affect hundreds of thousands of people. Now, just go to Northwestern Teacher Leadership to register for an information session or to apply online. Scholarships are currently available and if you're interested in talking to program leader Tim Dore to learn more, reach out at T-D-O-H-R-E-R, that's T-Dore, at gmail.com. This week's episode features a conversation with Paul Donaher. Paul is a global leader with a track record of growing and transforming organizations with innovation at their core. He combines strategic vision, operating excellence, and a creative mindset to achieve results. Paul's leadership style is the hallmark of his success and the success of those he leads. He is focused on ensuring a high-performance, stimulating work culture through collaboration, motivating teams, and championing inclusion and diversity. Paul has held senior executive positions at Apple, Beats by Dre, and So The Buys. As an agency president and partner, he has advised esteemed brands as diverse as Four Seasons Hotels, Goldman Sachs, Gap, and Harvard Business School. Paul is committed to sharing his leadership skills and business acumen with community and non-for-profit organizations, especially those focused on issues related to equality and justice. Before we get started, please take a moment to like and subscribe to the Good Athlete Podcast. Be sure to share after giving it a listen. We appreciate your support and hope you enjoy. I have been, I've been working for 40 years. Um, and, um, and I started, you know, leading organizations pretty early on in my career. Um, and, you know, over that period of time, you know, I feel like I learned a tremendous amount of lessons, um, some good ones, some bad ones. Um, I made mistakes. Um, things that I reflect on today that I wish I hadn't done. Uh, but I think when I, what that created was this sort of this, uh, wisdom and judgment that accrued from having been doing this for such a long period of time. Right. And I really wanted to share some of those learnings with people and direct them in a way that could improve their leadership. So instead of just holding back all of the, all of the things I know and I've come to learn, I really wanted to share it. Um, I also think that, you know, we're at a really, really pivotal moment, um, societally. Uh, and I think there's a lot of things that are impacting what we're requiring of leaders, things that are going on out there today. And, um, and I think about that a lot. And so I, I want people to understand, um, sort of where they fit into considering those societal things, where they, where do they as leaders fit into that broader context and how can they improve their leadership given those things? Mm. So, um, yeah. So I, I, I mean, it's been, it's been really, it's been really great. And, um, you know, also one of the things that's always affected me throughout my career is, when I get a note from someone that literally I haven't seen in like 15 years and they'll tell me that they still think about things that I told them. And that's so, that's so incredibly meaningful to me that I could have a positive effect on people like that. So, um, I hope that what I do today, you know, makes not today, literally, but 
to, you know, yeah. in this particular today time, included, right? sure. Yeah, today included, um, really has a positive effect on people and, and how they think about themselves in the world. I'm sure it will, Paul. I, I appreciate that so much. So I, I, I agree with you. I think there's probably no substituting, you know, no substitution for worthwhile experience, but to be able to distill that experience and share it. Like I think the spirit of an educator and a spirit, the spirit of a leader, they're so, so darn similar. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I feel that. Can you tell us a little bit more about that experience? Because it's not just that you were working for a long time. You were working with some great organizations, doing some great work. What did that look like for you? Um, well, you know, they were all in their own way. They were all different. Um, you know, some of them were, you know, large organizations. Some of them were small organizations that I was actually a partner in or or that I own. So, so each of those experiences was was very different. And you know. When I think about companies that I was a partner, you know, where I was a partner, uh, I got to control what I wanted the culture to be. Mm-hmm. Like, because I was the person that people looked to to create the culture. And so I like to think that I created cultures where people felt respected, where people felt like they were constantly learning, where people felt like they really wanted to go to their job every day, those kinds of things. I think what's interesting about working in larger environments and, and, uh, and obviously, you know, famous and well-respected ones is that you cannot control the culture in that way. It's too, it's too big. There's too mm-hmm. many players. There's too many people. Um, and, and yet I think that those companies, those large companies need a lot of direction in terms mm-hmm. of of the kind of leaders that they're trying to cultivate and the kind of leadership cultures they're trying, they're trying to make. And, and having those two very different kinds of experience, you know, being sort of an entrepreneur versus being part of a corporate, you know, a cog in a corporate wheel, if you will, I think really, you know, gave me the, the feeling that I wanted to empower people, even within those large environments to kind of think about the kind of leadership they want to create or the leader they want to be, even in the context of those big places and yeah. try to affect, um, to affect those places in a more positive way. Yeah, I, I appreciate everything you're sharing. Intentionality seems to be a big theme. You know, and, and when we talked last time, we, we discussed this a little bit. You mentioned a, a few things like respect and, and constantly learning. Um, would you, have you seen, I feel like I have that, um, sometimes, as organizations or teams are moving swiftly ahead and perhaps having some success, it's almost like let's keep putting one foot in front of the other, which is, which is wonderful. But if, if along that journey, you don't bother to sort of pause and name what it is that you're trying to do from a culture perspective, the culture can get away with you. You mentioned those big organizations. You know, I, I wonder sometimes because, because that's what I've seen. And I'd, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this. I've seen a lot of sort of backfilling of culture. Hey, we're, we're, we're moving, we're moving, we're moving. We've got something special. Now all these rifts are popping up or, um, this is one of my specific questions for you, by the way. What would you do? Uh, if, if pockets of an organization are no longer talking to each other, it grows segments and there's strife across, uh, sort of silos within an organization. So intentionality, well, how do you deal with these things? Well, I think. You know, let's talk about, you know, companies sort of getting um, on automatic pilot as it relates okay. to, to culture. I don't, I'd look at that in a slightly different way for a second and say that, you know, first of all, I think that, I think that culture and leadership within companies, a lot of times, and I mentioned, I sort of alluded to this earlier, is kind of dictated by what's going on outside of the outside of the company, you know, that, that, that what's happening culturally sometimes can hmm. affect cultures sure. and organizations. But what I think is interesting about a lot of companies is that sometimes the cultures that were created, even successful companies, the cultures were, that were created were kind of really bad. Yeah, right, right. And, and I think especially if those companies become successful, they don't want to change. Because they're afraid that by changing something in the secret sauce is going to get spoiled. And I think that's the biggest challenge actually for companies is that they allow bad behaviors to exist, especially if they're successful. And it's really hard to, 
for companies to take a hard look at themselves when they feel like they are that successful. Can I tell you what I call that, Paul? What? We, uh, we, I've got a theory about that. It's called, we call it the talent delusion. And it, and all of a sudden, you know, you, you've got talent around it or the curse of success. You, you've got talent around you. You've got a successful track record. And, and it's funny because, uh, when I talk about those two concepts, I ultimately down the road a few steps get to this idea that you just mentioned of fear. You know, it's not, it's, you know, it's not just sort of a blindness by one's own success and talent, but it's, it really, what is, it's like, at some point you're like, holy cow, look at what I'm holding. And we are afraid to lose it is what it comes down to. Wouldn't that, uh, not to get too heavy with the terms, but, uh, loss aversion in psychology. You know, you're more afraid to, to lose it than any other psychological pressure. Yeah. And you think, you think that, that by changing it, you're going to lose it. Right. Or by adapting it, you know, you're going, you're going to lose it. Uh, but going back to your original point, I do think the companies do get it sort of on a treadmill and, you know, they're, uh, let's say they have a great culture and they're just kind of moving along and they're not necessarily, they're not necessarily nurturing it or looking at it. Also, something that came up, I think, in our last conversation is that I feel that a lot of companies and my, my teaching has definitely shown me this is that in a lot of companies, companies don't really define what their culture is, nor what their leadership values are. So people just, they kind of guess at what they are. And so no one knows what their behavior is really trying to ladder up to. There's no sort of greater, there's no kind of greater vision. And part of my, one of the classes that I teach, um, I ask people, first of all, I ask people to define what they think their leadership uh, looks Mm -hmm. like. How would people describe their leadership? And people love doing that because no one's ever asked them that before. And, right. and people don't think about their leadership all the time because again, they're just going. And, um, and the other, then after we do that exercise, there's, I ask them the question and I say, well, what is the, what is the leadership culture of your organization? And does that align with who you are? And what's so interesting is that a, a lot of times people can't define what that is. Yeah. And B, a lot of times if they do define it, they're not in concert. So, which is a recipe for disaster. Right. So, you know, one of the things that I feel and, and it comes out of my teaching is sometimes to, to go back to the people I'm working with who brought me in and to say, look, you guys need to do a better job of defining what your expectations are of the people that are leading here. Otherwise you're going to have you're going to have in this group over here, you're going to have some really nasty, horrible, mean leader. And over here, you're going to have someone who's like this, you know, trying to do the best that they possibly can. And and you just don't want to have that kind of inconsistency in your company. Um, I, I could not agree more. I, I just I what you're saying, I just keep nodding along here because you're hitting on two of the, what I think are the most important factors in leadership. The first one was I, I you know, I, I recognize this as an athlete was there's a big difference between influence and leadership. There are people who are sort of naturally influential, who can stand up in front of a room and command it, potentially. But leadership uh, requires what you just said, which is like, you have, to lead, you have to be leading people in a direction. You can't mm-hmm. just be having influence on them. You have to you know, say, this is where we're headed, and here's how we're going to get there, and X, Y, Z. And then exactly what you just said, that's why I'm getting so excited right now. It's really, it's the gap. It's the gap between where I am, what my leadership style is, et cetera, and the values of the company, I think, and, and I, I'm going to really dig in here, I feel like more and more that's becoming the core of my work is helping people identify two components, the gap between, and then there's two, then, then there's two questions. Is this something, now that you recognize it, do you want to bridge it? You know, is this the right place for you, say? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then if so, how? Does that feel aligned with your work? Uh, no, absolutely. Yeah. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, that oftentimes doesn't happen. And, yeah. and even in the recruitment process, um, you know, the recruitment process can be quite disjointed mm-hmm. from, from mm-hmm. other, you know, from other variables that are actually affecting what the leadership culture is. Right. And I would argue that most, I would argue that most people, when they're interviewing people, spend a lot of time talking about functional experience and functional expertise mm-hmm. and probably don't spend as much time on sort of softer sort of leadership skill kinds of kinds of things. 
Uh, now, of course, there are, you know, there are um, exceptions to that, but I do think that people tend to, they tend to hire, they tend to hire functionally. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. It's funny that you say that because would, would you also consider one thing that I've seen a, a good deal of is folks will get moved up the ladder. They'll get promoted because they're good. It's like a functional, like a practical thing. Yeah. So they're great. Yeah. I call it the Michael Scott effect. I don't know if you're a fan of the office, but you're crushing it in sales. So you get pumped up to manager or some sort of leadership position and, and, uh, you know, your incredible functional expertise at skill A has leveled you up without the recognition. That's where people like you come into the world without the recognition that, that, Hey, you gotta, you gotta onboard a new skill set here to be successful at this new level. Right. That's, you know, that's super common. And, and the, the other thing that creates that problem as well is that there's no opportunity for advancement beyond things that, that require some kind of managerial component to them. Um, so, you know, at, for example, at Apple, you know, you have individual contributors and they will never manage people. I mean, that's what yeah. an individual contributor is. Um, and then you have people who are, you know, leaders, managers, whatever you want to call them. Um, now what's, what's interesting is that there's some people because they are so skilled in what their function is. That's what they should be doing for the rest of their lives. Sure. Right. Right. But they should be compensated for that. They need to be compensated okay. adequately for that. But sometimes the only way to be compensated is to move in a direction of managing people. And right. so you're taking those people away from what they do incredibly well, and you're putting them into a place where they may not do that so well. Right. Um, so, so not only are you putting them at them in a disadvantageous position, you're putting their people in a disadvantageous position and also the company in a way, because what you really want is you want to, you want to extract as much of their skill set out of them as possible from right. a technical perspective or from a functional perspective. Um, I will say one company that, and I don't know this based on firsthand experience. I just know it from what I've heard. Um, but I have heard that Facebook does a particularly good, what a good job of helping individual contributors feel like they're being recognized and compensated for their expertise without mm -hmm. having to move them into managerial uh, or leadership roles. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, uh, I think you'll find that there's more and more being written about that, about how do you take someone and continue to elevate them based on their functional expertise rather than on their leadership experience, because not everybody wants to be a leader. Right. Wow. That, I, that's a, that's a take a breath, pause moment, because you just, you just identified something else super important. Not everyone else wants to be a leader. I, I, I have seen this and it, you obviously have plenty of times over people might be moving into those positions for exactly the thing that you said they've had a track record of success they'd like to be compensated for it this is the only next step fantastic but maybe they never actually see themselves as a leader and wouldn't that be sort of step one even if there was a great deal of education and support for this new you know toolbox of skills needed if they don't want if that's not what they want to do that's it and, and you know where i see that is uh all the times in academia People will find their way, you know, they're a professor perhaps or on the track, on that track. And they, they like research. They like being curious and asking questions and conducting experiments and writing those experiments up and sharing them with the world. Mm -hmm. And they become so proficient at that, that it's the same idea. Well, well, the next level up financially in terms of job stability is maybe you run a small lab. Maybe right. you're elevated to a different position and they had zero interest in ever leading people it's you know but so then all of a sudden you have and so we don't want to overuse the word but i think it might might be appropriate in certain settings uh these sort of semi-toxic environments where you've got driven curious talented people in leadership positions and maybe they're only missing talent is the leadership right right yeah. right. right and um yeah, and 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 that must be you know incredibly frustrating for them too. I mean, if, if oh, it's yeah. something that they naturally gravitate towards, it just it kind of exacerbates the problem. Bingo, and and I think and I think it chews up a lot of their bandwidth too. So all yeah. of a sudden, this person who is really who wants to dig in and do deep work with ideas uh, is finding themselves responding to frustrations of others and navigating conflict 
And uh, it's, it just becomes incredibly hard on everyone involved. So bringing awareness to that is probably step one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the um, the what this one thing that made me think of just because I, I got to keep reminding ourselves that we're on an athlete focused, uh, the good athlete podcast is uh, I think one way to really tangibly bring that into the sports world is when you see folks like Michael Jordan or someone like that, you, like an incredibly talented athlete rise to the position of manager or coach, you know, it does not always pan out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have a deep understanding of basketball or football or baseball, but that doesn't mean you're going to be able to lead others in doing that well as well, especially with your, all the other components uh, in play. Yeah, absolutely. It's you know very much the same thing. And, and, you know, earlier I mentioned to you about this, um, um, I, I really want to share this one thing, and this doesn't come from a Michael Jordan perspective. It, it comes from a thought that, first of all, you know, people can demonstrate their leadership in any number of ways and any number of places. So you don't have to be at work to demonstrate your leadership. I mean, you could be at home with your family, you could demonstrate your leadership, or you can be with friends and you can demonstrate leadership or not. I mean, depending upon, you know, what, right. what you want right. to do. Um, but what's interesting is there is a, um, there's a professor at, um, Harvard Business School, Scott Snook, who's an amazing, amazing guy. And he teaches this class called authentic leadership. Mm. Uh, and it's one of the most popular classes at HBS. Actually, he just retired in June, although he's, he's teaching a couple of executive education classes, but I don't think he's any longer in the MBA program. But, um, as part of, uh, as part of his, um, his class, um, there's a, uh, there's a video that he shows, um, and it's of, um, I don't know, do you know who this guy Mo Cheeks is? Yeah. Mo yeah. Cheeks. Yeah. Anyway, so there's this video of Mo Cheeks. It was, I think it probably took place in like 2006. And, um, it's, it's of a, uh, there was a championship game and this girl, this woman, young girl, uh, young woman had, um, had won, um, some kind of a contest to sing the national anthem and um and she gets up to sing the national anthem and something happens and mo cheek reacts to it mo cheeks reacts to it and it's one of the most incredible manifestations of excellent leadership even though you would never look at this and just say oh this is about leadership like you wouldn't but if you look at it through a leadership lens like there's just this incredible stuff that happens so I would urge all of your listeners to watch this video and think about the characteristics of great leadership that come out in this totally non-leadership moment. Mm. Um, and you just need to Google Mo Cheeks, you know, um, national helping, anthem helping. Yeah. National anthem. Yeah. It, it, you'll, you'll find it. It was 2006. Um, but it's, it's a really sort of provocative, um, beautiful video of of leadership at its at its finest really yeah yeah i love that uh, i i will look that up and i won't ask you to i don't i don't want to give it away i don't want to give it away it's too good it's too good um all right well i've got a question for you and this, this sort of aligns with that um i'm really interested in in hearing because you're a leader you mentor folks for a living um who were some of the biggest mentors in your life uh, well, actually, you know, um, I would say one of my ex-business partners, um, I joined him, the company that he had founded was 10 years old when I joined him. Uh, it was really small when I joined him. He had like 10 people. Yeah. And eventually we grew the company and we sold it. And, uh, I would have to say that he was, he's probably one of the best, like, mentors and leaders I've ever, like, I've ever known. I'm not so sure that I realized it at the time, but I do think that in retrospect, um, he was. And it's funny because I, I'm, I was having a personal dilemma the other day and, uh, he happened to call me and it was just, it was amazing how he walked me through it and how he really helped me sort of come out the other side. So, uh, he's, you know, I, I would say that he's a good, exa- has been a good example for me. Is that someone you'd want to name? And uh, sure, yeah. yeah. His name is George Fertitta, and he's currently uh, um, he's currently he's cur- currently the CEO of the division of Bloomberg. Okay, and a wonderful uh, human, and a good human. Yeah, a good human. Um, there's also uh, 
you know, I also I also learned a lot from you know some of my clients in the past. Um, so there's a guy that uh, there's a company called Inspire Brands. They own like Dunkin' Donuts and they own um, uh, Arby's and a bunch of like fast food brands. Uh, and there's a guy who's the CEO, he's sort of the CEO of that group, um, Inspire Brands group, and his name is Paul Brown. And he's just an amazing, an amazing leader. He's focused. He's, um, he's greatly successful, you know, on a purely quantitative basis. Um, sure. Sure. How his companies perform, but also he has such a good sense of people and how to motivate people and, as you know, in that business, it's all about people because people are encountering, you know, customers every day at the point of purchase. Um, and he's very, he's so sensitive to cultural issues and, and, um, has just, you know, and been very successful doing that. And I have tremendous amount of respect for him. Um, you know, and also, I mean, I've, I've learned from bad leaders. You know, I believe that, of course. I've, yeah. I've, yeah. I've learned, I've, I've, I've learned what not to do. Tell us some things not to do that you've learned along the way. I won't. I won't name names for sure. <laughs> right. Um, I um, well, one thing it's, it's very basic, um, but one thing just has to do with really treating people that work with you and for you as human beings. Yeah, I'm always surprised by someone who's in a leadership position and they walk in in the morning and they walk past all the people that work for them and they don't say good morning. Like, what is that about? You know, um, tell you. And, and it, no, but it, I, I mean, it seems pretty basic. Doesn't it? Right. It seems obvious, but that happens all the time. Oh, well, I think. But that's yeah, a definite. Well, no, no. Yeah. And people, you know, people don't have any curiosity about other people, about yeah. their lives or, um, you know, maybe what happened over the weekend. And it, it just when, when, when you when you take an interest in people in that way or when you don't, it has you know very different effects. Um, and then people think that you're interested in them as humans. And then that, you know, breaks down a major, you know, barrier. Now, if, if you, if you work with someone who does that, okay, who, who might have that, um, how do you dig in? Because when you say that to me, I think I, I split. I say, well, either this person has a major blind spot and doesn't realize how important that component of the work is. But I also, part of me says, well, what else do they have going on? You know, is this person, I mean, is their bandwidth down to zero? Are they taxed in other ways that I might not be aware of? Like, how would you enter that conversation with a leader like that? Well, I mean, I I think the kind of stuff I'm talking about really isn't that difficult. I mean, right. I, it's, it's, I don't feel like what I said is going to add something to someone's job so much. I mean, it's right. it's part of a natural, a natural thing. You say hello to someone or you say, how are you doing? Or, sure. <laughs> Thing. So I don't think I'm adding anything to their, you know, list of, of things, list of things to do. Um, I think a lot of the stuff is, you know, psychologically based, you know, it's, it's where people are coming from, from an ego perspective or from a, I'm the boss perspective. Um, you know, I've worked with someone successfully, but, uh, for many, many years, but I had to balance what I thought were his, you know, major idiosyncrasies, which is that, you know, I believe that when you're leading someone, you're leading, you're really trying to lead someone else to do their job. You're not leading someone else to do their job. And I, I think there, there are lots of people who think of people that work for them as vessels for mm -hmm. doing what they want to do or what they think is the right thing to do instead of saying, I got this great team here. You know, what are their thoughts about what we should do? And let me empower them to do it if we come to some agreement on it, you know? And yet I think so many leaders kind of hold on and just try to get people to execute what their vision is rather than trying to create a common vision mm. um, that would probably be better with, you know, unless maybe you got the wrong people, but, uh, you know, assuming right. you have the right people. Um, would you agree? Would that probably depend on sort of like the tier of the employee to some degree? Like, uh, yeah, you're talking I mean, about a leadership team primarily. Yeah. I mean, I think with, with more junior people, you have to be a little bit more directive. Mm -hmm. Right. You know? But you still want to give them a sense that they have a voice. Totally. You know, 
Right. I, I, I agree. I, you, I, and, and I was, I'm glad you said that. It's kind of what I was, I was trying to pull out because I would say, suggest that no matter where one is within an organization or a team or whatever it is, everyone's got to have a voice. I think everyone has to have a voice with the sort of humility that's like, well, maybe if it's your first freaking week on the job, maybe you're not going to rewrite the, you know, the strategy for us or, um, which, you know, so there's, there's some coaching involved in that, but, mm-hmm. uh, but they still, I think probably have to feel tied to the mission. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to feel like they, they are an important cog in this wheel and not just a vessel for the execution of someone else's plan. Right. So I think it's really important. The, um, I, I, I gotta note this too. One of the things when you, when you talk about that leader, this hypothetical leader walking into a place and, and sort of walking past humans and, uh, shouldn't that be in just a natural disposition? I agree with you. I think it's a small behavioral adjustment. Uh, and, uh, I don't think is, it's as obvious to some really high achieving people as, as you'd think. And I think I, I wonder sometimes, not sometimes, probably every day, multiple times a day, if, if a huge part of leadership and the coaching of leadership is not just bringing awareness to things, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's probably one of those things. I, I imagine like a, a visionary super genius walking into the office and, or, or, or a, or a Bill Belichick coach or whoever it is, just mm-hmm. walking past people and not even recognizing that what they're doing is off. But if, if someone like you is able to bring it to light, it, it, like that might be all they need. Ah, that's right. I got it. You know, I mean, some of the, some of the best, most successful leaders that I know are the most responsive and the most giving. You know, I mean, oh yeah. With the emails, if, if not that I sent him emails every day, but at Apple, when I would send Tim Cook an email, I would immediately get a response. Really? And I mean, he must be the busiest CEO in the world. Sure. Must be. But it's just, it's part of his DNA that he, he should be responsive. Yeah. You know, and, um, and I don't think everybody, uh, everybody thinks that way. I mean, I actually think culturally we're at a moment where people have lost a lot of a sense of decorum and um, responsibility to other people. I mean, people are so bad about communicating. Right. And and would you agree, just to go on that tangent for a brief second, Do you would you think that it's evolving? Before we hit record, we were talking about remote versus in-person versus hybrid workspaces. I wonder if decorum itself is being sort of rewritten as we speak. Do you see that at all? I I, I think that that's, I think that that's true. Um, and I don't, I don't actually know what the, what the reasons for it are. You know, I mean, yeah, maybe it's connected to hybrid workplaces and things like that partially. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think people either come from a giving place or not giving place. Mm. Um, I I like that breakdown. Yeah. And people either either think that part of the, part of the, the responsibility is to is to help other people or to you know be in service of other to other people, and there are some people that don't think that way. Right. And um, I think it's a real uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting time in that regard. I think it is too. I'm going to give you my theory. Not that it's I told you I wouldn't go on the tangent for too long, but I've got a theory. Okay. I, uh, I, I wonder if some. Uh, some of the more classic old school decorum is not quite as alive right now. I mean, we're still in the, the immediate wake of pandemic, you know, mm-hmm. we're still, we're not fully out of the moment. So I think my hope would be that some things come back online and, and, um, and I, I do believe that that, that probably will come to pass. But I also think that, uh, you know, in the, in the moment in time when, where much of what we do is remote, where most of what happens to us over the course of the day is on our technology. I, I think it would make sense to me that the people who can master technology probably would have the biggest voice in that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So meaning, I wonder if decorum to some degree is being rewritten by the mass of people who understand technology best, which mm-hmm. is a slightly younger generation, which yeah. is maybe some folks who are slightly less inclined to write a handwritten letter or or something like that. Um, so just, just a theory. And I hope, I hope it levels out a little bit. I, you know, I, but I'm just, 
that's where my imagination goes. No, I, I, I think that's an interesting theory. Yeah. 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 It's not science. It's just a guess. Right. Uh, but, uh, to come back to it, we were talking, you know, I, I like these specific cases. I, I'm imagining this leader who bypasses his people and, and I imagine like what could be going through this person, person's mind, uh, him or her, whatever it might be. The, um, and it reminds me of a frequency, uh, dilemma that I've, a conversation I've had with, with coaches, educators, and business people alike. And, uh, it, you know, it, it talks about praise and authentic praise and the importance of frequently it doesn't have to be praise. I'm not talking about everyone gets a first place medal type stuff, but, uh, the importance of regularly and frequently reminding your people that they matter to you. And that can happen in countless ways. And it was actually, you know, like, uh, it comes from a story of a teacher who stands by the door of her classroom as her students come in and exit every day. She's, she's greeting and, and wishing them well on the way out every single day. And, uh, they, I believe the story is there was a critique from another teacher. Like, how do you do that? How can you pull that off? Mm -hmm. And the response was, I care about the kids and I don't ever want them to forget it. And like you said, for coming from a giving place, it's just that straightforward. And then, and, and goes on to say, well, you know, a mom doesn't tell her son she loves him once and saying, well, you know, why don't you just remember it? You know, she, she might remind him every single day. And that's mm -hmm. totally fair. Um, mm -hmm. And that sort of, you know, I'm no stranger to the word love, whether it's in sports. In fact, I, I sometimes I'll be accused of it. I probably say love on a football field more than most people, more than most people would. But uh, I, I don't think there's. I mean, I suppose there's a tolerance threshold. You don't want care to become white noise, but frequent and authentic reminders that people matter. And it might be something just as simple as that. You walk in in the morning with your cup of coffee and, and say, hi, how was your weekend? And, and that's something that's meaningful. Yeah. And try to, you know, try to know their name if you can. I mean, so, sometimes it's impossible because they're too vast. Sure. Group, but well, also, I, I want to look at that. I'd like to look at that in another way as well. And sure. I don't know whether this is as common in sports or, but what, one of the other things I've found in business is that I feel a lot of times people also don't want to talk to people about what they might be doing better. Hmm. And, and so what happens is, is that that builds up because if you're not happy with the way someone's doing something and you're not telling them that, then a lot of like scar tissue builds up around yeah. that. And yeah. then it, it manifests itself in ways that are like not good. And, and I, I always like when I think about when I talk to people about like what I, you know, great leadership, like one of the things I, one of the, top things I always try to talk to them about is to be honest. And, you know, if someone's pissing you off, tell them, you know, in a yeah. nice way, tell them they're pissing you off. Or if someone doesn't seem to be doing their job a hundred percent, try to figure out why, like right then and there, because otherwise you let these things build up. And at least in business, as you know, you know, you get 12, you, know, you, you have a review every 12 months. Right. Or if you're right. waiting for 12 months to tell someone something, by the time you get there, you're ready to fire them. Right. Right. No. And they might not even know. Right. That's, uh, that's so, Paul, I love this because that's, that's another example, in my opinion, of that br gap bridging. It's a sort of internal version of that. If you are, if, if you are running a company or a team or whatever, you know, of course, this applies to an athlete. Of course, this applies to a student as well. If you're running one of these organizations and you don't make those gaps clear, that gap in this case being what your expectation was and where they are relative to it. If you don't make that, clear then the scar i love that term because the scar tissue builds up a little inner resentment builds up every time and you know i, I believe in the intentions of it at least part of it you probably maybe you don't want to hurt the person maybe you're conflict avoiding you're a little afraid of how they might but but like you say that that stuff that's energy and that energy is going somewhere you know and that might just build up bubble up and and perhaps at the wrong time like at a review i think it's one of the biggest problems in leadership and in business is people's, and when I use the word confrontation, which I probably shouldn't use because it has a, a negative. Fair enough. Yep. Yep. Into it. But I, I, you know, I really do think you need to be able to confront issues, you know, head on in a human way, like when they arise. Yeah. 
and and not doing that is not fair to you and it's certainly not fair to the person that you're not sharing with. I couldn't agree more. I just I just got off the phone probably two hours ago, just to be totally accurate, with a gentleman named Max Moon, a friend of mine from grad school who's the president of a company called BrainCo. And I'm saying all that because we're actually going to have him on a podcast in the near future. I'm not uh, outing him anyway. So he, but he is currently writing an article and we're, we're excited to be able to publish it for him, uh, about celebrating truth telling with, with that exact idea in mind, a culture that celebrates truth telling. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and it actually, it, it stems in part from, you know, one, one of the things that we do that I try to do, I, I've got, did we talk last time? I can't remember about the OCD culture initiative. And I won't go through the whole thing, but essentially it's these three primary components of a healthy culture. One is maintaining optimistic assumptions about those with whom you share a purpose. Mm-hmm. And oh, but, but it's two-sided because the other part of that is earn optimism in return. So behavior that earns it and, and cultivating a mindset that, that is maintaining it about other folks. Mm-hmm. C is clarify as needed. And that's what you're saying right now. It, you know, like be as clear as you can. If you're not clear, seek clarity and develop a culture where that reciprocal asking until we get it right and share understanding is mm-hmm. the norm. And then the D, uh, I won't cuss on this podcast. So I'll just say the D is don't talk trash or don't talk smack about, about the people you, you work with. And, you know, each piece of the, you know, there's only that one's meant to be slightly provocative, but it's really meant so that we catch ourselves if we're ever offloading ne- negative energy in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it all really comes back to, you know, the, the, the O, the optimi- maintaining optimism and D, not talking poorly about people, r- really is creating an environment that can fuel the, the C, the clarity part. So to right. have the conversations that you're, you're talking about. And I, I love that, you know, that not talk trash thing because the talking trash you're only talking trash because you can't express to the person what's really bothering you about them. do you know what i mean and if you do that there's no need to talk trash because you're dealing with them directly on the issue yeah spot on that's almost exactly what what i what i mentioned when i talk about it you're exactly right i also you know one thing i challenge people to do is examine examine the you know the the intention like why is it that you feel because we've all felt it I, I i won't say that you have but i certainly have been a perpetrator of trash talking in my life um mm-hmm. you know I, I try not to now I, and, and i think i've gotten you know and i mean this i think i've gotten pretty darn good at it and, and but it's because of what you just said i don't leave a lot on the table you know mm-hmm. I, I like let, let's untangle this this web while we're here together so that mm-hmm. when we leave and, and i jump in my car uh, you know, that conversation is no, no longer going on between my ears where, you know, when I was younger, it, it, it would have. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, well, listen, I could, I could actually, uh, just continue this conversation all day. So why, why don't we do this? I'm going to ask you sort of one, one of my wrap up questions. There's, okay. there's two of them, right. but, uh, and they're, they're kind of for, for fun, sure. but they're, they're good takeaways, but let me do this. Let me say that you have a, if anything ever, if there's ever, ever anything you'd like to talk about, uh, I don't know how many books you have in the works. I hope there's at least one, a memoir, who knows what. But if you ever got anything, I, please know that you have a, an open invitation and we'll, we'll share it far and wide. Um, the questions I have, look, I like to read. Uh, I've evolved this question over time because it doesn't have to be a book. But mm-hmm. let's say one book or, or movie or even podcast, one piece of media that you think uh, maybe a listener could go on to next and also get a lot out of? Um, well, I just yesterday finished reading a book um, that I thought was, was such a great treatise on leadership that, first of all, as I said, you know, I have this theory that a lot of people share, which is that leadership is partially defined by the time in which you're leading. Um, and uh, there's this great book that's called The Man Who Broke Capitalism. Um, hmm. And it's written by this guy, David Gellis, who's a, um, he's a writer at the time, New York Times. Um, and it's about Jack Welch. Hmm. And what's so interesting to me is that, you know, Jack Welch has been heralded as, you know, probably the greatest leader of the 20th century. And um, at least business leader of the 20th century. And um, this book like deconstructs that fantasy in such incredible and powerful detail. Um, and I just, uh, I, I, I guess what I, what I appreciated about it is that sometimes I feel that 
people, because of their celebrity, can get away with a lot that mm. that other people can't necessarily get away with. And I think that that's what this what this book kind of pointed out. I found it incredibly powerful, and it's a really easy read, um, but it's it's incredibly powerful. So that's one that's one thing. The man who broke capitalism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. There's actually well, another book too, which which I I love, and I think it it could have some real implications for sports, and which is a a book by a professor, excuse me, a professor at Harvard Business School, Amy Edmondson, and it's called The Fearless Organization. Huh. And basically, uh, what what the thesis of the, of the book is is that if especially if you're working in kind of like an innovation-driven environment. And in a weird way, I think of sports as somewhat innovation-driven because, um, you know, you, you're, you're always, you know, you're always thinking of new ways to, you know, to win the game, perhaps. Yeah. But, um, and it's called The Fearless Organization, and it talks about the fact that in order to have a really highly functioning organization, people cannot be fearful. Mm. And it's funny because a lot of times, you know, coaches – you know, at least, and again, I'm just looking at it from the outside in, but coaches right. can be depicted as like, pardon my, you know, real jerks. I'll use that word, you know, and, um, and a little bit abusive, you know, and, and I think that this book kind of, again, deconstructs that myth that that is sure. a way, to, that is a way to, to, to work and what the benefits of not working that way are. Um, I think a lot of people feel like they have to work that way. Yeah. That's sort of like what society has preordained them to do. Right. You know? I, I do because I've, you know, I've fallen astray of that. You know, I, I, you know, I fell victim to that sentiment probably early in my career when I was playing football. I was coming from a position, Paul, where I was, uh, I was traveling the world trying to make football my job. And, um, intensity and, and all of that. Essentially, I, you know, when I first got into coaching, I, coaching, I think what happened to me, I know this happens to a lot of people is you take what you felt, what you experienced, and maybe what worked for you. And then you just turn up the volume on it. And, right. and that's why this stuff exaggerates over time. Um, uh, of course, in fact, I, I have an article that I wrote about it. I can share it with you it called it's challenge gone wrong. Um, but you know, what I've come to understand in certain environments is, um, there's a major distinction between intensity and being what I would call the energy catalyst of a moment and trying to impose and, and strike fear into the people you're trying to lead. I would once again say like that you might be able to influence behavior through fear, but mm-hmm. that's not leadership. Yeah. You're not leading them. Yeah. Um, right. that'd be significantly different. Um, Anyway, I like all that. Well, we could go on this all day too. I thought that was going to be an easy question. And I like that a lot. <laughs> hey, uh, can I ask? A, not written down, but kind of a back end idea too. I'm going to look up both of those books. I love this idea of the fearless organization. Is there a thinker out there that you find yourself drawn toward in um, this arena? Yeah, you know, I'm. I I say I'm a big fan of Adam Grant. Fantastic. Agree. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I really think Adam Grant, um, I really feel like when Adam Grant decides to say something, it's something that yeah. really needs to be said. And I can't say that about a lot of people that, you know, have podcasts or that, you know, write books or that kind of thing. I don't um, know how, but he knocks on. it out of the park every time. Yeah, he does. He, he does. really does. Very yeah. soft. And, and like you say, every, it's funny, Paul, that you say that. And I wonder if this is some AI, some sort of algorithm at play. But I, I will find myself coming across an, an Adam Grant quote, and it, it's, it's like, wow, does that apply mm-hmm. to either my own life or someone I'm working with? Or, or I'm like, holy cow, that's that's pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, f- last question today, maybe the most important one. Okay. Um, you know, we, we usually pick from a random, a set of random fun questions. This one, I'm just curious about. What was your first concert that you ever went to? This is totally um, the path. The birds. The birds. <laughs> what is, I, I, listen, I know everyone who's listening to this knows who the birds are, but just in no, case they don't. No, they, may, no, they probably don't. I'm not even so sure I know who they are anymore. Um, yeah. I, um, actually, I think I just remembered that was the first concert I ever went to, but I don't yeah. even remember. I almost think 
you know that song, Mr. Tambourine Man, you know, which is a Bob Dylan song. Yep. yep. Um, I think actually they did a cover of that, which they became famous for. I think that was ah. something that they were, they were known for. But, um, I just remember being there and, um, taking it all in. Okay. You're right. So I just did a little bit of in the moment research. The one that, that seems like it is theirs. I remember this, you know, I remember this from Forrest Gump. Uh, okay. turn, turn, turn. Yes. Turn, turn. Yeah. Which is, well, that, I think that was, a, um, that's a Joni Mitchell. Cover. Oh, is that a cover too? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. fair enough. So, so either Joni Mitchell or or Judy Collins. I'm pretty sure it's a Joni Mitchell cover. So the Birds might be one of the most famous cover bands uh, <laughs> right. there. Fair enough. Fair right. enough. Right. Where where was it? Was this like uh, was it was this in like Boston? Boston. It was Boston in, in like a big arena. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, I think I think it was in Boston Garden or something. That's cool. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um. All right. Well, that's our time for today. But like I said, I know people will gain from this. I appreciate it. And 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 uh, among the many reasons I'm excited to have you on and share your ideas with our audience is I just, you know, we, we hear all the time that sports teach life lessons um, and, and, and our position as an organization is that, uh, you know, they, they probably don't, not in the way that people suspect. Sports have the potential to teach life lessons. It's a very powerful learning environment. But I think the organizers of the space, the coaches, uh, have to be really intentional about how they use that power. And if one of the things that we want to do is set people up for success in life and business and the professional, professional, the professional realm, uh, then, then we have to be really thoughtful about that. So I'll call back to one of the things that you said earlier. I hope any coach listening to this and the educator would would be explicit about in your words you know the, the mission uh the, the values within their place and you know like i say if, if one of their hopes is to send people on a good path professionally then i know they'll be able to pull from your wisdom in that way so uh, i really appreciate you having me on well i really enjoyed it and i hope it's helpful to people absolutely do you need business cards do you need flyers, posters, custom thank you notes, or any sort of stationery to take your business to the next level? If so, then you've got to see the good people at Mighty Printing. They've got two locations. One of them's up north in Glencoe, Illinois. The other is right in the heart of Chicago on 180 West Washington Street. They do most of the printing for the Good Athlete Project, and we just could not do our business without them. They've also worked with teams like the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Blackhawks. They've worked with Let Us Entertain You Restaurant Group. They do holiday cards they do wedding cards they help you they help you not only celebrate special occasions but make them that much more special and like I said if you are a small business owner or a large business owner they will give you the sort of personalized service combined with incredibly high quality goods you just can't find that combo honestly anywhere else find them online at mightyprint.com that's m-i-t-e print p-r-i-n-t.com and on instagram same thing, at Mighty Print, M-I-T-E, Print. And tell them the Good Athlete Project sent you.